It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT. Fund managers are cutting charges ahead of a ban on commission, but how are financial advisors behaving? High street names are paying more than 5% interest, but not necessarily the ones you'd expect. And UK mortgage rates are still edging up, but it's your holiday home that could soon cost a plenty. All this to come on this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Patrick Connolly, Head of Communications at independent advice firm AWD Chase Devere. Hello there. Let's start with the money news. Last week, Schroeder's became the latest fund manager to cut its annual charges ahead of the ban on paying commission to advisors, which comes into force at the end of 2012. JP Morgan has already launched a low-cost fund which doesn't pass on the 0.5% cost of advisor commission to its investors. But how are financial advisors adjusting to a future in which they'll have to charge fees for the work they do rather than receiving a cut of the investments they sell? New evidence suggests that old habits may be dying hard, with some advisors continuing to squeeze out as much commission as possible and others churning their clients' portfolios to rack up extra fees. Alice, you've been monitoring this transition from commission to fee-based advice, but some of these developments sound a bit worrying. They do. I mean, it comes down to the basic problem that however much regulation you throw at a problem, if people want to get around the rules, there are always ways for them to do that. And, you know, some of the um, less scrupulous uh, commission-based advisors who who did used to um, recommend your product just purely because it paid, say, 8 percent commission and not because it was good for you. These people, if they move into charging fees, will probably find that there are ways to, um, you know, give you bad advice based on fees just as there was based on commission. I suppose because we've still got almost two years to go until commission is banned, there remains this opportunity for the less scrupulous or the more commission uh, incentivized, depending on your point of view, um, you know, to make hay while the sun shines. There is, yeah, there's a strong element of this, actually, that, that a few people have been um, talking to me about, mostly off the record, because nobody quite likes to point the finger at fellow financial advisors. But um, but some actual statistics seem to back this up as well. So um, there's a, a recent um, report from DeFacto, um, which interviewed 500 financial advisors, so a fairly good segment. And it found that that actually been a rise in commission-based advisors from 2009 to 2010, as well as from 2008 to 2009. Now, that goes completely against 
what you would expect, because what's supposed to be happening is that all financial advisors are supposed to be moving to a fee-based model or leaving the industry altogether, which some people think that a lot of people will do. But, I mean, really, one of the only interpretations of those figures is that they're they're doing you know they're getting as much commission as they can while they can exactly and uh, the move to fee-based advice in theory um sounds like it will eradicate this particular problem but um it sounds like you've been hearing suggestions that it might not be the sort of panacea that many hope it will be yeah um i mean it's commission-based advisors funnily enough that have been saying this to me so there's a certain amount of mudslinging um but uh yeah there is this fear that if you suddenly have to justify the fees that you're charging um which will be uh, an obvious um, amount of money say 200 pounds or something which it wasn't obvious under the commission model. People will say, well, what am I going to get for this £200 or £500? And, you know, advisors will possibly feel under some pressure to demonstrate that they are giving value for money. And that could come in the form of switching people's portfolios around more than is necessary to say, well, look at this, you know, you you were underperforming for three months, so I've changed you into a new fund, which is ridiculous. You know, you shouldn't change funds over that much. Yes, I suppose the, the sort of professionalisation of the industry would then lay people open to the same sort of accusations that are sometimes uh, levelled at solicitors or management consultants that they just bill and bill and bill and bill. Mm, exactly. There's, exactly. That's the problem that, that might happen. And Patrick, I mean, obviously, you, you, know, you operate in this particular mm-hmm. area. Um, now some firms are obviously well prepared for moving to fees, others less so. I mean, do, does any of this you know, sound familiar to you? I'm quite surprised by the information that's come through there. In my experience, and we speak to lots of other firms of independent financial advisors in the industry, and even if they haven't moved to fees yet from commissions, they're very much gearing up to do that. So I'm, I'm surprised we've seen an increase in the, the amount of commissions. I would expect the trend to be the opposite, but really not coming through probably until the end of 2011 and into 2012. So Alice, I suppose the, the onus, as ever, is on uh, you, the private investor, the client, to make sure that your advisor is billing correctly. Exactly. So now you have to do two things. You have to check how much commission is coming out of the product if your advisor is commission-based. And if you think it's very high, you should probably question that. And um, if you're being charged fees, make sure that you're happy with how much, um, how much advice you're getting. And, and don't necessarily think that the more advice you get, the better. Exactly. Well, Alice, um, thank you very much uh, for that. And for more on both advisors' fees and commissions, as well as the new lower charging funds, look out for Alice's articles in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, why fixed rate mortgages for European properties are already starting to soar. First, though, retail bonds. This week, a big high street name gave savers the opportunity to invest in a five-year bond and earn 6.5% interest. But it wasn't a bank, and it wasn't a savings bond. It was actually John Lewis's new retail bond, which will pay a fixed annual income of 4.5% in cash, with a further 2% in the form of gift vouchers. Then, the next day, a more familiar name, Lloyd's TSB, announced a five-and-a-half-year corporate bond available to retail investors paying a fixed rate of 5.5% a year. Both look a lot more attractive than the five-year savings accounts available on the high street, which pay no more than 5% interest. But, Patrick, these bonds, the John Lewis bond and also the Lloyd's TSB, 
people are very different investments to a, a savings account, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. And, and there's a risk that people will perceive they are a savings account because they're coming from trusted brands. They're coming from John Lewis that people know and trust, and they're coming from Lloyd's that people know and trust as well. But but these are not savings accounts. As you say, they're corporate bonds, and they're relying on those firms to still be in existence and be able to pay back investors' money. Now, you take a step back and you say, well, there's no doubt those firms will be around in five years' time. We would have said the same about the high street banks that needed to be bailed out. We've seen the problems that have happened with BP. If you go back in time to like some Marconi as well, just because a company looks like it's strong and secure doesn't necessarily mean it will be there and it will be able to meet the, the obligations that, 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 that it set. Because these bonds, well, they work like any other bond, I suppose, in that you, the investor, are lending money to a company and you're reliant upon the company being able to not only pay you the interest on the money that it's borrowed from you, but also to return your capital at the end of the, the term. Um, and I suppose people may not realise that the deposit protection that's available on savings is not applicable here. Correct. It's a, it's a big difference. If, if, if you put money into a bank or building society account, you're, you're covered by the financial services compensation scheme up to £85,000. If you put money into an investment fund, you're covered by the scheme up to £50,000. With these particular products, you're not covered at all. So you need to bear that in mind as well when, when you're considering whether to invest. And you mentioned um, funds being covered by uh, deposit uh, or investor protection in the case of funds. Um, corporate bond funds can yield similar levels of income to these individual corporate bonds. Does that make them more attractive, do you think, to private investors? We, we would certainly recommend collective corporate bond funds rather than individual funds because you're investing in a whole range of, of companies rather than relying on one. Um, corporate bond funds as well are, are easier to put into an ISA uh, and the yields on them, on, on a blue chip corporate f- bond fund, tend to be somewhere in the region of 4 to 6%, so, so not a million miles away from where we are here. If you want to invest in less secure companies, you, you can achieve a higher yield. But in terms of a comparison, 4 to 6% you can get in a good quality corporate bond fund. And I suppose the ISA uh, qualifications are, is, is a very good point because uh, if you're um, earning interest from your investment, you want to keep that as sort of tax efficient as you, as you possibly can. The John Lewis bond is not ISA qualifying as far as I'm aware. Co- correct. And, and so a basic rate taxpayer will pay 20% tax. A 40% taxpayer clearly will, will pay 40% tax on that as well. And it's important to recognise that part of the John Lewis payout comes in the form of vouchers, but all of the tax is collected on the cash payout that you get back as well. So you're actually going to pay tax of more than 20 or 40% on the particular cash element. Uh, so the 4.5% which comes in cash is going to, is going to bear the, the full brunt of the tax on the six and a half percent total, absolutely correct total coupon. Uh, well, that makes it look you know, a little bit less attractive um, for those listeners who then who might be more interested in a corporate bond fund. Um, are there any in particular that uh, that you like the look of? There, there are. It depends. It depends how much risk you're willing to take. But if you're investing in the stronger companies, the more secure companies, um, investment grade bonds. We, we like the M and G corporate bond fund. We use the Invesco Perpetual corporate bond fund, and and, and there are a number of other good quality funds out there. And I suppose just one last thing to mention, um, at a time when inflation is creeping up and there are expectations that interest rates will have to start rising at some point, uh, fixed income investments like individual corporate bonds mm. and indeed uh, corporate bond funds to an extent 
might become less attractive. Are there any yep. funds that you think are better placed than others to to ride out this um, interest rate risk? Yeah, it, it, it's a big risk whether, whether you're looking at corporate bonds or whether you're looking at savings accounts. You, the best rates available now involve you locking in your money for four or five years. And if interest rates go up, then, then those rates become less competitive. Um, in, in, in terms of the best approach, that really depends on what's going to happen to interest rates. If they stay at the current levels, then those fixed rate terms will, will look very competitive. If interest rates rise, then they won't. I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know the answer, but, which does actually lead me on to just uh, one other consideration, which is if you don't know the answer, and neither of us do, yeah. I suppose you, you also want to be able to take your money out if you need to and put it somewhere else. And you can't do that with this John Lewis bond, can you? It's, it's, it's very difficult because there, there isn't a ready-made secondary market for it. So so with regard to the John Lewis bond and with, with regard to a lot of fixed-term savings accounts, you only put money in there that you can afford to tie up and you know you're not going to need access to so you need to be aware of the risks if you're making this five-year commitment. Patrick, uh, thanks very much indeed for that. And for more on the pros and cons of investing in individual corporate bonds rather than bond funds or indeed savings accounts, have a look uh, at the feature which will be in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, European mortgages. While mortgage rates have been edging up in the UK, the cost of fixed-rate mortgages in popular second-home destinations across Europe has been rising much faster, by as much as 1% since the start of the year. And they look set to increase further, mortgage brokers have been warning. Fixed-rate loans have soared in recent months in reaction to the widespread view that the European Central Bank will raise interest rates. Last week, the bank signalled that rates could rise as early as next month. So, while a stronger pound and a weaker euro may make a holiday home look cheaper in Europe, mortgage brokers are advising UK buyers to secure a cheap fixed rate while they can. Tanya, um, how are these rates changing? It seems that they've been moving a lot faster than I was, I was aware. Yeah, well, basically, we've had this situation that over the last two years. Obviously, the, the European Central Bank rate has been at a sort of a historic low of 1%. Um, and... Even last September, I think um, there was research that showed that French mortgage rates were a historic low since the post-war period. So we've had like most second holiday um, buyers have been able to kind of take advantage of these low rates. But since the new year, we have seen kind of a lot of the overseas mortgage lenders pull their rates and increase them quite a bit. So, for example, um, Credit Francais International, which is a French um, bank, basically increased the price of its 10-year fixed rate mortgage from 3.7% um, in February to 4.1% in March. Um, they do tend to kind of give you the kind of a bit of a longer leeway. So they tend to say in the next month, they'll be increasing it to this. Um, well, that's not quite the same in the UK mortgage market. They tend to pull rates often without any notice at all. Um, so maybe that's one kind of advantage of um, the European mortgage market. Yeah, and I, I seem to remember, probably having read one of your articles last year, in fact, mm-hmm. that um, there were a number of uh, very attractive rates all beginning with a three and it seems like, like these have yeah. pretty much started to disappear um is, is this overseas or the yes. UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah well i suppose it's a similar thing has been happening in yeah. the uk but it seems to be happening faster in europe i think it's especially i mean like you mentioned um before i mean the european central bank has been saying that they're um going to be looking to raise interest rates and obviously last week they kind of made signals that it would be as early as next month so i think there has been this kind of um almost 
bit more of a rush than in the UK mortgage market because obviously we kind of expect interest rates to rise perhaps maybe towards the end of this year or perhaps sooner, who knows. Um, so I think there has been a bit more of a rush because I feel like um, obviously with some of the European countries, there's, they are going through quite a lot of sort of economic turmoil. Um, Portugal is one example of a place where it's having a lot of difficulties at the moment and that's actually one of the countries where you kind of get in the fixed rates are actually kind of massively more expensive than say um it's in say in France which is another traditional second home destination so with um with Portugal you're kind of more likely looking at rates around the 7% mark for a kind of full term mortgage um 7% around the 7% while in France you can still get a mortgage around sort of 4% um so it's quite different from each different country. I suppose that, yeah, that's one thing that people need to really mm. bear in mind. You, you, know, you might think it's the Eurozone, but yeah. so not all lenders are a- active in all markets and no, not all good. rates apply to all countries. Yeah, it's worthwhile, actually. I mean, um, one of the international mortgage brokers, um, International Private Finance, have actually, just last week, they've launched this new um, rate update service for their clients. So they're actually, um, if you register on their service and you're looking to buy a overseas home, they will actually send you an email or a text message to let you know when they've been alerted by lenders if they're um, if they're planning on increasing their rates. So, kind of if you are at that process where you're kind of you know considering buying a property, you could almost um, move quite quickly once you get this text message and say, okay, I know that they're going to raise by this amount mark. I want to secure this rate now, and you can get an agreement in principle to kind of secure that rate. So it's quite a, it's quite a good service being offered. It's certainly better than the situation over here, as you mm. alluded to earlier, where um, rates just yeah. disappear. Yeah. You know, in most people, hours. yeah, most people have like kind of, you know, almost put in an application and they kind of, you know, can't access that rate anymore. Yeah, and and just finally, um, of the various countries that you've been looking at, where where are the cheapest mortgage deals generally available? It still tends to be France, which is quite good news because obviously that's um, the most popular second home destination for um, people in the UK. Um, you can kind of still get a twenty-year um, fix at three point nine nine percent, and that's actually available up to eighty percent loan to value. So you can even still access these quite cheap rates. And twenty-year fix. Yes, I mean that's one thing to point out in the European mortgage markets. You do people do tend to fix for a longer period. It's not necessarily five years. Um, it tends to be a ten years or twenty-year period. Um, and also. Uh, in comparison, in Spain, you can get a kind of 20-year fix at 5.75%, but that's available up to 60% loan-to-value. So if you take the France example, that's much more cheaper than um, what we're seeing over in the UK mortgage market. So you, at the moment, you can get, I think the best buy a five-year fix is around 4.59%, and that's only up to 65% loan-to-value from First Direct. It would pay to pay to move to France almost. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It sounds like you have to move pretty fast to, exactly. to get the rate before it goes up. Tanya, thanks very much indeed for that. And for more on the best mortgage rates for property purchases in a range of European countries, um, look out for Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, top tips, and our latest ISA Q&A on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Alice and our special guest, Patrick Colony of AWD Chase Devere. Goodbye. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.